Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It takes a lot of electricity to run the internet. Where's that electricity coming from? Today we're talking about how big tech is starting to throw its weight around in the energy industry and what that means for you, me, and for your utilities. Hello, and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So here's something I learned when working on today's podcast. Big companies get their electricity in a totally different way than you or I do. That makes sense, of course. Buying something wholesale is always going to be different than buying at retail. And sometimes, if you're a big enough wholesale buyer, you can have a lot of influence over where your power comes from and how it's generated. None of this is new, but what is new is that some of the biggest wholesale power buyers are now tech companies. Think Google, Microsoft, Apple. And they're not only influencing where their electricity comes from, they're also influencing the folks here in Washington, D.C. who regulate the energy industry. That's the topic of the latest story from Bloomberg Law reporter Daniel Moore. And I brought him on today to talk about what it means that big tech is becoming a big player here. But first, I asked him to explain to me how it works when you buy your power wholesale. Yeah, it's a little bit more complicated than maybe just flipping on the light switch and signing up for utility power like you or I will do for our homes. Um, Big companies like data centers, schools, hospitals, uh, big office buildings, they consume a lot of energy. They want the lowest rates possible. And they want reliable energy, too. If they lose power for an hour or even a few minutes, it can be devastating. And so what a lot of those companies do is reach out and try to secure the supply of energy from the from the source, from the generating plant. And so sometimes they're working with um, utilities to do that through tariff programs. Sometimes they're going directly to a developer to do that. And so it's a little bit more complicated than just, you know, a residential customer. You say tariff programs? Is that like, you know, when I think of tariffs, I think of, you know, taxes on imports and exports and stuff. What's a tariff? Yeah. What's an energy tariff? A tariff um, would be uh, a state approved rate, essentially. So, you know, we pay tariffs on our electric bills every month, but this would be kind of a special tariff for a specific customer. I see. So it's a it's a power industry term of art. It is, yes. So one of the things that your stories was about was was these big tech companies and how you know they are using more and more power and trying to source it responsibly, I guess. I I was just absolutely astonished by some of the figures in your story. Can you give me a sense of just how much power like Google and Microsoft and and Meta are using? Yeah, these companies are running huge data centers that basically run the internet in a lot of ways. If you go on Amazon to to buy something, I mean, that's all coming from a source of energy. And so I pulled out Google statistic, which is 18.3 terawatt hours of electricity in 2021. And that's more than double from four years prior. So the growth is tremendous. And what that represents is about 1.7 million average U.S. households, um, that amount of electricity over a year. And I think what blew my mind is what you just said, that within a four-year period, that more than doubled. Like that, if you plot that on a chart, that's scary. 
<laughs> you know. Yeah, and it's the growth that's kind of astonishing. I mean, it, it makes sense that these companies use a lot of energy, but it's the growth over a very short period of time, and that kind of gets at some of the challenges with the power grid that we're talking about here. Right. So these big companies and these big tech companies are sourcing their power wholesale, and it sounds like the tech companies in particular really want to get their power from renewable sources. Why is that? Is it just because they you know, love the environment and they're very altruistic and they, you know, have, um, you know, nothing but the best of intentions, <laughs> as you can have being a little facetious here. Or are there other reasons why they are interested in, in getting exclusively renewable power? Yeah, there's more going on here. Um, it's kind of interesting because it reflects, I think, the clean energy transition as a whole. Wind and solar are both very cheap now. The costs have fallen. And so companies that consume large amounts of energy they want to be seen as green companies, as environmentally sensitive, as improving air quality in the communities where they're putting data centers. But now they can do so profitably. It's kind of a you know a happy situation for the companies where you know clean power is cheap power now. So and that's happened broadly across the economy. And this is just one big consuming sector right now. Right. So it helps their brand. It, it helps their brand to be seen as a green company. But also, as you point out in your story. A lot of these companies made environmental pledges and emissions pledges that they are now kind of struggling to keep. And, you know, it sounds like by sourcing their power directly from renewable sources, this is a way to help them keep their promises. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think they're looking for new ways to get that power. And that gets at some of the grid policies as well that they're pushing. And, you know, over re in recent years, they have increasingly been trying to press for more renewable energy as they have had these 100% net zero goals because, you know, there's only a finite amount of wind and solar right now, and they're trying to get involved in the business of building more of that by demanding more of it. Right. And not just building or, you know, building more of it, but encouraging more to get built and also encouraging policies to change to allow more renewable energy to get built. And that was another thing you reported that these, a lot of these tech companies are hiring energy lobbyists and specifically clean energy lobbyists. Who are they hiring and what exactly are they lobbying on? Yeah, they've been hiring people who have spent years in the energy industry, specifically in the electricity sector, um, who are super familiar with agencies like the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC which has been embarking on you know, multiple rulemakings over the last year involving transmission lines and generator interconnection and things that used to be things that are very wonky and used to be just the venues of utility experts. And so they're hiring people from trade associations from the Hill, people who have FERC experience, and they've been staffing up, you know, I've heard over the last year or two. I mean, this has been a pretty recent development that they've been trying to you know, bring on expertise in order to effectively lobby in D.C. Right. I mean, well, you, you said in your story that they were hiring, you know, people with pretty impressive resumes or, or at least very connected resumes, you know, ex-Hill staffers, former administration officials. You know, these are people who know how the game is played here in D.C. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they've been, you know, a, a regular presence at panels um, and and different conferences. And I, I mean, I got the idea to report this story about a year ago. And over the last year, I've seen, you know, companies like Google sponsor these events. I've seen representatives from Microsoft, Meta, Amazon sit on panels and talk about 
you know, policies that used to be, um, again, pretty, pretty exclusive to utility nerds and, and former FERC lawyers and, you know, people who are really embedded in the world of, of you know, de- you know, generating and transporting and delivering power. So as an aside here, just from one journalist to another, that's a really cool way to come up with a story idea is that, you know, we all go to these conferences where, you know, people are speaking and these industry conferences, but you were noticing that different people were showing up to the conferences than you would expect. And that in itself is is the story. Yeah. And, you know, there are there have been trade associations, too, that have been established and founded by, you know, these big tech companies, specifically the Clean Energy Buyers Association um, is a good example where they, you know, represent, as as the name suggests, uh, companies, big corporations that want to buy clean energy. But they're based in D.C. They're doing a lot of lobbying around grid policy and transmission lines and all these things. And so, um, but the you know the the impetus for find for founding that group was to influence grid policy in D.C. so that companies can buy more you know wind and solar. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Okay, so let's now take a step back and sort of look at this from the big picture. Let's say you're an environmental activist. You're someone who's really concerned about climate change or um, or air emissions. On its face, this would seem like a positive development that you now have very, very wealthy um, stakeholders who are advocating for clean energy. However, I, it's just it feels odd to me for you know grassroots environmental activists to be cheering corporate lobbying like it sounds very strange is is this something that if you're an activist you're happy about or are you a little ambivalent yeah I think by and large I've heard people are are cheering these companies on um, it is a little bit strange i think in some ways just given they may not usually support big corporate lobbying in dc but you know i think i think they care about the outcomes and i think 
if if companies like Google and Amazon can press for, you know, connecting more renewable energy, um, they're actually signing up for, you know, these agreements that buy all the power from a wind farm or a solar farm. And so if you're an environmental group and you care about the results and building these renewable energy plants, um, I've heard by and large they're they're supportive. I think the concern might be more from like a consumer advocate standpoint where, you know, what what is this doing to the system? What is this doing to rates? What may this do to reliability issues? I mean, that's kind of the concerns I hear from utilities that are going before state commissions and trying to justify their rates and trying to, you know, they're the ones that are held accountable if the lights go off. And so I think there may be concerns on that side of it. Um, But it seems like, you know, environmentalists by and large are aligned with the big tech companies. That's a great point, which is that, you know, if if these companies are lobbying to get something done in Washington, that means there's someone else on the other side that is lobbying to not do that or to, you know, do something different. And it sounds like the the folks on the other side of this are the utilities who are well, you know, what are they saying? What's their argument as for why they, you know, are maybe opposing or if not opposing, at least not going along with what the tech companies want. Yeah, utilities would say we are trying to work with our largest customers. I mean, it's it's a tough situation because these are big customers. They're going to sell a lot of electricity to these customers. If you're a utility, this is revenue for you. I mean, this is this is a business opportunity. You want to supply as much power as you possibly can, but I think the the problem comes in if you have a company pressing for 100% clean power, perhaps that's not the cheapest power on your system, perhaps that will create, you know, a rate increase for customers, perhaps perhaps that's just not doable in, you know while maintaining reliability. So Or maybe maybe it is doable just not now, maybe in 5 years. Yeah, years. maybe maybe it's more of a transition. I think that's, you know, again, the broader debate over the clean energy transition is how long is that window going to take you know how long does it take to build a bunch of wind and solar plants if that's what we want and so utilities you know it's it can be somewhat of a clash sometimes i mean they certainly they want to control their system too they want to be able to say you know we'll work with you on a tariff but don't go around us and and get a contract with the wind or solar farm uh so there can be some tension there with utilities for sure and you know customers don't have to go before the state commission and justify their rates and and they're not held accountable if the lights go off. So, you know, everyone's kind of rowing in the same direction, but it's just, you know, how fast you're going. Yeah. Uh, all right, that's like a, sounds like a good place to end it. Um, let's leave it there and uh, revisit this in the near future. This is a really interesting Definitely. topic. That was Daniel Moore talking about uh, big tech and renewable energy. Thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And that's it for today's episode of Parse Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, visit our website, news.bloomberglaw.com. That website, once again, is news.bloomberglaw.com. Today's episode of Parse Per Billion was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parse Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle. It is edited by Zach Sherwood and Chuck McCutcheon. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening. An individual's race should not be used to help him or harm him in his life's endeavors.
a pair of lawsuits has made its way to the Supreme Court, and the decision could dramatically change just who gets into which college. Bloom is effectively using the Asian community as pawns. Every lawsuit needs a villain. To mask an anti-Black and anti-Latino agenda. Does this demoralize me? No, it doesn't demoralize me. This season on Uncommon Law, we'll explore the arguments and the people driving this latest battle over affirmative action. Can the Constitution be used to remedy society's ills? I'm the only person in class who has to raise my hand and say, okay, well, actually, here's how this affects people that look like me. Does the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause prohibit all discrimination based on race? You let somebody in because of their race, you're keeping somebody else out because of their race. There might have been two or three Latinos, including me. And so somehow that's too much, somehow that goes too far. It's hard not to take that very personally. Coming October 25th, part one of a three-part series on affirmative action. What's being decided is whether black and brown people are going to be excluded in significant numbers. Only on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.